When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, how do you do? I'm I'm great. I'm always great. If you think I'm not great, maybe you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Huh? You want to start off on that foot? You want to go ahead and start questioning whether or not I'm great? Well, obviously, things are good, but they could be better today. I am flying solo. Life got in the way, and Mark and I, being two very busy adults, could not get together for our uh, couple hours a week from our jobs and our other obligations and his wife and my fiance. And we're at this point now where we're just trying to go ahead and make sure that we don't go crazy in the process. But hey, we made a commitment every Wednesday from now until eternity. We will keep pumping out episodes. We'll be back to normal very soon. But for now, you get little old me in the process. Today, we're going to go ahead and review Jupiter's Legacy, the Netflix show that almost nobody seems to be excited about at all. I'll be giving some recommendations on some other shows you could check out if you're wanting to catch something in the vein of this series, but actually, in my opinion, a bit better. And then some other indie flicks that may have flown under the radar that I believe should get a little bit of recognition. And last but not least, we're going to go ahead and do some listener questions. These come from our patrons over in the Second Print Comics Fan Zone. You can go ahead and join the Patreon today at patreon.com slash Pod For as little as $5 a month, you get so much, so much bonus content. You get weekly Rumzo rants every Sundays. You get exclusive reading lists that we're doing every other month now. You get Claire Continues, the Random Marvel Comics Podcast, Tales from the Fuck It Pile, uh, se- uh, series reviews from the uh, the uh, Marvel Disney Plus series. I mean, I, I always want to call them like the Disney Plus series now, so like the Marvel Disney Plus series, but they're the Marvel shows on Disney Plus. So far, we've already completed um, reviews with Mark and Dan Smots covering WandaVision. And recently I went ahead and wrapped up the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series with our good friend Caleb Franz. We also do monthly uh, chats at our journey into mystery level with those patrons. And if things can't get any better, I get to play Santa Claus and Mark gets to play my elf because, you know, one of us has to wear the, you know, the, the giant red suit. The you know the the pants in this relationship relationship so to speak, and uh, we even go ahead and mail out hand selected hardcover graphic novels to our epic crossover patrons and above. And if you think things can't get any better, we've got our Kirby Club fifty dollars a month. You you might remember listening a few weeks back to our Phoenix Saga episode that was produced by a listener and supporter of the show Eric Linden. 
Eric, because he's the first Kirby Club member, he got to produce that episode. But we also went ahead and granted him the title of King Kirby Club because he is, you know, basically the 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 father of this little movement, so to speak, because many more will come afterwards. So please, we give you so much and we ask for so little and we're giving you a ton of value in the process. That helps Mark and I go ahead and keep the lights on, keep the website going, make all this magic happen. You think it just happens, but no, a lot of work really goes into it. And I do want to go ahead and thank everybody who has been supporting us thus far. I try and remember all your names, but... I am incapable of doing that. One time I even forgot my own birthday, which was really embarrassing when you literally forget your own birthday and you're still in your 20s. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and just cover one thing off the bat. Uh, uh, There was a little controversy, and, and I want to say it's a little controversy because I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but a lot of you got your panties in a wad. I'm talking about the 2021 version of Mortal Kombat. So here's the deal, and this is the full story. Don't listen to what Brian McWilliams and the group says. He's bald, and you know what I say. You can't trust bald people. They're not even really people. They're just like, you know, angry munchkin people who happen to be bald. I'm pretty sure that Brian might actually be a tall, dapper man, but he's bald, so you can't trust him. You can't trust bald people at all, and I know he's going to spread lies about this, Because, uh, you know, that's what the balds do and we can't let them win. So here's the deal about what happened and what really happened. What happened was I was in the Second Print Comics fan zone. As I mentioned, that's where patrons of the show go ahead and shit talk each other. And I went ahead and posted a comment about the new Mortal Kombat film. And I basically said, it's kind of dry and it wasn't that entertaining I'm not saying it's terrible. I'm just saying uh, it wasn't it wasn't what I thought it was meant to be. Now, here's what really happened. I did say that, but when I watched it, I had just finished a full day of work. My fiance came down to see me. I watched it on HBO, and I also took like I guess a 20 minute nap, which in a in a pretty short film, it's less than like I think it's around like you know uh, 90 120 minutes or something like that. Like, that's a good chunk. So I thought I had seen the whole thing when, in fact, I accidentally took, like, a quick cat nap and then I jumped back and I started watching it. And it's just one of those things where it's like you got to watch it from the beginning to end and you have to really be paying attention because what I will say is that it comes off as something that could easily be a a made-for-TV film. It wasn't super spectacular, but I went ahead and said that. People lost their shit. Next thing you know, I'm working out with my boy Matt at the gym, and I tell him, hey, I wasn't that impressed, and he looks at me, and he's like, what the hell is wrong with you? Did we see the same movie? We go back and forth, and then I go back online later, and y- y'all just lost your shit. Like, I've never seen it before. It was a complete Remso hate train. I mean, Mark even jumped in there, which is why he's not here. He's taking a dirt nap because he, he dared to find me, just joking. He's off doing something else right now. But I went ahead, and I said, you know what? I'm willing to watch it again. And I'm lucky because at the time I was still living in Virginia. By the time you're listening to this, I'm in Wisconsin, which is why everything, you know, scheduling wise for the show got a little bit screwy. But I went ahead and I went to the Alamo Draft House because if you're going to watch a film like this, you might as well watch it. 
on a big screen in theaters while you're getting served a nice cocktail and a burger. So ironically, I was also the only one in the theater, and I'm not saying that as a slight to Mortal Kombat. It was a Thursday afternoon. I had the afternoon off, so I went there. Um, only one in the theater getting this like you know giant private screen experience beautiful absolutely beautiful and i watched it and i can genuinely say that my opinion changed because for me it felt like i was watching a different movie because i probably paid more attention i was a bit more awake and there was nothing else to distract me phone was off it was awesome and while i do admit that my opinion changed i will still say It's a movie that if you like Mortal Kombat, you're going to like it. I just think it could have been so much more. And I get it. You just wanted to see the cool fights and everything. I think turning Scorpion into like a sympathetic hero was just kind of off. I think, uh, you know, the whole thing of Jack's arms getting ripped off and then he gets the puny arms. But then like his secret Mortal Kombat power is him getting like super robot arms. I thought that was kind of dumb because what... What you know? What what else would have Jax's powers been had he not gotten those puny little shrimp robot arms? I mean, just stuff like that. And if I'm spoiling this for you, I'm sorry. It's been on HBO Max. It's your own problem if you haven't seen it by now. By the time you're listening to this, um, the only real captivating thing I gotta say was the performance from the guy who played Kate, uh, Kano. Uh, that was really cool. But at the same time, it's like I remember watching the the, the original Mortal Kombat from the '90s and playing the games and stuff. I never knew that he that he could just like shoot lasers. I always thought he had to like, you know, have a cybernetic laser eye type of deal. But apparently now he just kind of does that. And I mean, he got he got like a lot of screen time in that film. It just seemed kind of off. Now, don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. But, you know, for a Mortal Kombat film, you don't want to throw a little bit to Luke Kang. And, and and by the way, why would you kill why why would you kill Kung Lao so early in a movie when he's obviously the coolest MFer? on the freaking screen. I mean, he did that thing with his hat, which, uh, I mean, he, here's the thing about Kung Lao, was like the hat, his superpower, his ability to control the giant Shaolin cowboy hat that can like turn into a buzzsaw and, you know, saw crazy pterodactyl lady in half. Like, was that the power or was his power something else? Because his cousin, Liu Kang, has, has freaking fire hands and shit, you know, like a cooler version of Iron Fist. Um, but you know, was his thing the hat? How does that make sense? How's having a how's having a deadly hat a power? It, it's just kind of there. Um, I thought the actress who played Sonya was a lot was probably is probably the best actress to play the character of Sonya Blade. Um, I the the guy that plays Cole Young, like I get it why they wanted to make a new character for this film. That's fine, but he just comes off as somebody that you can't really sympathize with and he's kind of a weenie and i just i just didn't think it was that it was that cool they should have just focused on luke king kind of followed more of the format of the first film uh from the 90s uh kabbalah that was really cool he was always one of my favorite guys i'm glad we were able to see him in the movie i don't think he was in the original two mortal Kombat films uh other than that i mean you know I, I kind of am disappointed that Goro's fight wasn't longer. I wish maybe we had seen him fight somebody else before he got, you know, sent off through, uh, you know, the portal to go fight Cole. But other than that, like, you know, it, it delivered on the fights. It delivered on the violence. I liked the final fight between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. That was pretty freaking awesome. But otherwise, like, would I watch this movie again? 
Probably not. Like, don't get me wrong. It, it it's not bad, but it came off. It, it came off just weird. And what's funny is like. I, I think maybe the way it was filmed also had something to do with it because I, I'm you know I'm one of those guys like Extraction was probably my favorite action movie from 2020, and this film it had so many cut points where you're switching the camera and everything in the fights it makes the fights not seem as fluid and realistic which is crazy because when you look at the background of most of the actors like almost all of them have like legit martial arts experience stuff like they're all actual fighters so i don't know why you wouldn't film it in a way to really emphasize that so you know don't get mad i i gave it a shot i w- was willing to go ahead and give it a second shot and ultimately it's not a bad movie i will say though i will say that there is an animated film that came out apparently six months prior. I think it's called Mortal Kombat uh, Scorpion, like, you know, Scorpion's Revenge or some shit like that. And it's basically a direct-to-DVD or, you know, direct-to-streaming direct animated Mortal Kombat film that's done by the same part of Warner Brothers that does the animated DC films, except uh, unlike the last like 20 or so DC films actually got like a better cartoon team to do it, to actually draw it and do everything. It's got Joel McHale and a few other guys. Joel McHale is Johnny Cage. Just another thing. Why would you leave Johnny Cage for a sequel? Johnny Cage should have been in this film. Johnny Cage probably would have been better than Cole Young. Just saying. But anyway, uh, this, this animated film is basically like the, the plot of this live action Mortal Kombat film except it's a little bit different and it's animated. And dare I say, it's probably bloodier. Like the shit they get away with in that animated film is way, way, way more bloody than what you saw on screen for Mortal Kombat. So if you thought that the live action Mortal Kombat was bloody, you got to go check out this film. I don't know why they would do it in the same year. They're basically doing a live action version of that. Nobody really talked about it. It was, you know, it, it kind of slid under the radar, but it's not even a full year old. So I would recommend going back and especially if you're wanting more Mortal Kombat content, go and watch that movie. Just go into HBO Max and do um, Mortal Kombat, Scorpion. It'll be the only Mortal Kombat animated film there. So, you know, don't don't be too upset. Get over it. This is why we, we have these conversations. And, you know, I, I feel like we're all worse for having me coming here to explain it. So, you know, good for you, I guess. Good for me, maybe. But that that was the whole Mortal Kombat gate. I'm hoping we put it to rest. Uh, we, we can't let the bald people divide us. And we have to move on with our life. Which, by the way, I will say that I'm not the only one that had these criticisms, even though I know a lot of you seem to probably ignore it. Because the guys over at Honest Trailers went ahead and just completely dunked on this movie. They were meaner than I was. Let, let, let's go ahead and actually listen to a few clips from that. After one fun movie and a sequel that felt like sniffing glue in the dumpster behind the arcade. Too bad you will die. Comes a reboot that will try to please the biggest fans of the legendary fighting game, Splot. Seems that throughout history, different cultures all over the world, they reference a great tournament. Look, my research shows that there's realms and species that we didn't even know existed. Who are you people? Mortal Kombat for the story is like watching Pornhub for the comment section. 
I will say off the bat, that's one of my biggest criticisms of the last couple like Godzilla films. It's like, for the love of God, get rid of the freaking humans. Like they're ninety percent of these movies, and I just want to see Godzilla destroy shit and fight giant monkeys and giant monsters. I don't care about the human subplots. I literally do not give a shit about that. Like, just cut it out. Whereas this film, you know, it's it's cool. Like, you know, I like seeing like you know all all the little like Easter eggs and stuff like that. But listen, I know you're getting a sequel, but you know, you also don't know if you're getting a sequel of these things. Don't don't tell me what you're gonna do. Freaking show me what you're gonna do, man. Mortal Kombat! Do you want a martial arts flick that takes itself way too seriously? Or do you want a campy B-movie full of winks to the audience? Get over here! Yes! In a film with dramatic scenes where Liu Kang can't stop his cousin from getting sucked off. He's about to get his soul sucked. And goofy scenes where he spams back plus low kick until his opponent rage quits. That the only move you know, mate? Ah! Oh, Re-enter the world of Mortal Kombat. And when I say world of Mortal Kombat, I mean the sandpit where everyone pre-games before Mortal Kombat actually starts. Because when it comes to the tournament, it will have to wait for the sequel. And even then, screw it. Everything's made up and the points don't matter. And read a cast full of legit martial artists. Not that you'd ever know it, because it's shot with so many quick cuts, it feels like your game is lagging. Okay, so that that basically gives you the gist. It's like a five-minute video. I'll leave it in the show notes so you can watch it later if you haven't already. I, I really love the ending, though, where they where they go ahead and they actually go ahead and uh, change the names of the characters and stuff. Starring Dom Seeking Sub, Frosty the Ronin. See my vest, see my vest. The girl wants the dragon tattoo. The Croc Hunter. Booyah. Welcome to the Scorch. Hey, at least he's not a white guy this time. The Sunken Place. Brim job. You got a little something on your... No, a little bit lower. No, it's kind of everywhere. It's literally all over your face. For Loco. Clever girl. And any excuse to play Cliss from Kung Pao into the fist. Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and leave it there, but you get the point. Good, not great. I went ahead, gave my mea culpa. We can move on now. Now... Here is the main topic of today's show, the series that I don't really think anyone's really fighting over in terms of an opinion because I don't know who's actually been watching it. We're talking about Jupiter's Legacy. Now, Jupiter's Legacy comes from Mark Millar. Mark Millar has had some hits. We're talking The Ultimates. We're talking Civil War. We're talking Kick-Ass, Kingsman. You know his stuff, and he's always one of those writers that manages to pull out these indie hits that just come out of nowhere and manage to go ahead and surprise everybody, even his harshest critics. But I got to tell you, the last couple stuff he's come out with are not things that I would necessarily call, you know, stuff that's going to knock you out of your seats. I'm talking about Nemesis. I never bothered reading that. Um, I mean, a lot of the reviews said it was interesting, but it just wasn't. It it was another superhero deconstruction type of story. And then it came out with Jupiter's Legacy. And the the thing about these specific stories is that these also came out when Mark Millar was hired by Netflix to basically adapt all of his existing comic books 
into TV shows. So in a way, you can kind of see a transition in the way that he does his writing and his stories because they're less like how they were when he was writing for like Marvel, let's say, or when he was writing for Marvel's uh, subprint, which allowed him to do Kingsman and some of the other stuff. This is the stuff that he wrote, which I felt was aimed towards the Netflix demographic. And you, you all know that Netflix has kind of a formula with how it does its shows. It is still uniquely Mark Millar, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like some of those other stories, especially Kick-Ass and stuff like that. And uh, Jupiter's Legacy is basically about a guy called the Utopian, gets superpowers, has a bunch of kids. Uh, he basically represents like a golden age Superman and the kids are basically, you know, growing up like you're a real suck old man and they're, they're questioning their whole existence. So it's basically another superhero deconstructionist story, you know, drugs, sex, violence, that type of thing, except it doesn't really deliver it. I went ahead and I, I asked a bunch of our patrons over on Facebook who's actually watching it. And almost nobody really was. This wasn't something that was coming out that people were really like ecstatic over. I'm not saying that they, you know, were out like, you know, outright hating on it. I never say anything negative about it. I never read the comics and I don't really feel a need to read the comics after this. I mean, I, I feel kind of bad. This came out right after like WandaVision, season one of Invincible, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, all series that, you know, had their highs and their lows. But this one, it, it feels kind of weird in a way because this is almost something that you would get like maybe 10 years ago if you were trying to adapt a superhero TV series to uh, television. And I, I still count Netflix as television, even though they're a streaming service. I know people want to get real persnickety about that, but I don't, I don't really see the difference. But the series is just it, – it, it tries too hard and I like the general premise, except it, it, it falls on two points. One, it's overly predictable. Um, and two, it, it tries to jump on the bandwagon of like dark anti-hero, superhero deconstructionist type of stories, like what we're getting with the with uh, the boys and other stuff like that. But it, it doesn't really even manage to do that either. And I'll, I'll I'll spoil a bit. Like it ends on a cliffhanger. So they released the first season as a volume. I guess a volume is less than ten episodes. I guess that's how they distinguish it now. So we know that we're getting a season two. It's it was like the top five, it was like one, one of the top five shows on Netflix. It's still doing remarkably well, and I think it's also getting a lot of people that aren't necessarily big comic book superhero guys to watch it because a, a, you know Umbrella Academy's already had like multiple seasons, and I never read that stuff, but a lot of non comic book fans did. So you know, even though it might not be my thing, even though you would typically think that it would be my thing. It is capturing an audience, and it, it does have some pretty all right support, despite the fact that even audience reviews for that aren't that great. So what I did was I went ahead and pulled up a couple of articles. Uh, we've got two reviews, and then like a commentary piece talking about it that I feel kind of give you know a good objective view on the pros and the cons of this series. I mean, I didn't hate it, and I don't want to tell you not to watch it either. I watched it, and I don't feel like I wasted time. I also feel like I probably would have wanted to have gone back and watched something else. In fact, I watched the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League the next day, 
And uh, that's like the gazillionth time I've watched it. And I'm like, I would rather watch this another dozen times than watch this. Not because it's like, oh, I'd rather do this than that any day of the week. Just that, you know, I felt like it was flat. It's like, it's like, you know, getting a two liter of Coke or something. And, you know, it's really great for like a day when you're drinking it. And then after a couple days, you know, I still got half of it left and it's just flat. And you don't want to go ahead and just pour it down the drain because then you just feel like you're wasting money. That's how I kind of feel with this. So these three articles, I'm also going to go ahead and leave the links in the show notes. So you can go ahead and read it yourself. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and just read them and insert my commentary and thoughts. And we'll, we'll skip around in the process too. Let me go ahead ahead and get adjusted because I don't edit anything out from here because y'all like to be with me in the moment. Just live with me, folks. This is from Ben Travers at IndieWire. The title is Jupiter's Legacy Review. Netflix's superhero series doesn't make a lick of sense. So automatically, you can kind of tell where this is going. A streaming adaptation of Mark Millar and Frank Quietly's comic books is a mess of overgeneralizations and jumbled storytelling. That is uh that might be a bit too mean, but at the same time, I, I think if especially if you've seen the series, you understand where he's kind of going with it. Um and I just want to say Josh Dumal, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who plays Utopian, he was from the Transformers series. I can't name a single project that I remember him doing between the last time I saw him, I think he was in Transformers Dark of the Moon, and here. So it's been at least a decade since I last saw him in anything. And uh, he, he's he's gained a bit of weight. He wears a wig throughout the film, and even when they go back to him in his, quote, younger days, he, he just looks different. He doesn't look like the special operations guy he used to be. And uh, you know, to, to his credit, though, like I, I, I might sound like I'm nitpicking. He's he's probably my favorite actor in the series. I can't say that really about anybody else. So, I mean, I think overall the actors did try. Like, I, I don't, I don't, my, my big criticism is the writing, much like how it was for the Falcon and Winter Soldier. If you, if you listen to the reviews that Caleb and I did on Patreon, I never attacked the actors. I, almost always attack the writing. And I think here it's the same situation because there were some performances I really liked, but enough of that. Um, when Paragon smashed in black stars brain while wow, they're, they're just going straight for the spoilers here. Uh, he broke my brain too. Now Paragon is the son of utopian. And in the first episode, he kills a villain named black star who turns out to be a clone of the real black star. It's a whole thing. Uh, the premiere of Jupiter's Legacy ends exactly as expected, with a climactic battle between our newly introduced heroes and a seemingly unstoppable supervillain. Set high on a greasy hilltop, safely away from innocent bystanders, dozens of Cape Crusaders use their respective powers to put down a raging behemoth baddie named Black Star. Lady Liberty, played by Leslie Bibb, who is always lovely, I love seeing her in projects, uh, tries flying at him really fast and ends up grounded, face first. The flare shoots fireballs that do less damage than a water balloon, and Tectonic erupts the earth under Blackstar's feet, amounting to little more than a detoxifying mud bath. Okay, right there, he just described the entire first battle scene. I'm just going to be straight with you. Like, there's some fighting throughout the rest of the season, but that's it. And it's really disappointing, because I know Netflix has the budget. 
you know, even though it wasn't like a Netflix movie, it's a Netflix show. You would have thought that they would have done more than that. And I, I don't know if it was uh, because of that or because they were really trying to adapt a story that focused less on the superpowers aspect of it. But if you're going to do a superhero project, show some freaking action. And what, what he just describes in the first episode, that's just basically it. That's all I remember. And I, I stayed awake during all of this. I may have had a glass of wine or two, but I stayed awake during all of this. Um, the scene serves as both a battle royale and a shorthand introduction to each of the hero's abilities. But any grasp on logic is lost when the fighting abruptly ends. Blackstar kills two young superheroes. He pins Utopian, the leader of the good guys, and is about to go nuclear when Paragon, when Paragon steps up. You see, Paragon isn't just the heir apparent to Utopian, gifted with similar powers and a strong moral character. Paragon is Utopian's son, and he can't watch his dad die. So what does he do? He punches Blackstar really, really hard. Paragon's mighty blow isn't the first fist to finish off Blackstar's ugly mug. I will say it's pretty cool because when he when he punches him, he like does like a jump leaping punch, and his face goes like right through his skull. It's pretty killer. Uh, no pun intended. As Utopian scolds his son for killing their enemy, other, more pertinent questions begin to percolate. Why exactly did Paragon's punch kill him? Why didn't all the other punches do similar damage? Is it just that Paragon is really strong? If so, why didn't Paragon's earlier punches do similar damage? Was he holding back? Was there no in-between punch that decimates without destroying? And what are Paragon's powers anyway? He can fly, he's strong, and I don't know, he's got really long hair. Though not as long as his dad's wig, which the wig that Dumal has to wear is kind of kind of stupid. Uh, unfortunately, these aren't the only inexplicable questions left in the air throughout Jupiter's legacy. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and fast forward a little bit. Uh, the foundation of this shoddily produced and tonally unbalanced superhero series is sound enough. An older generation of superheroes is preparing to hand over their tights to the next generation. But the two groups don't see eye to eye on how they should be making a difference. What actually divides the boomer heroes, and I think that's the best way to describe it, boomer heroes, and the millennial soups is just one more unresolved plot point in season one. These eight confounding episodes generate plenty of questions, but they lack the acumen to answer them or properly tease their eventual resolution. From its big ideas to its most basic details, Jupiter's legacy is an absolute mess. And I agree with it. It's a show that wants to do a lot. And if this plot sounds familiar for seasoned comic book fans, um, you might remember a series that we covered on this show or might be covering by the time you listen to this called Kingdom Come. Kingdom Come was by Alex Ross and it was based and Kurt Busiek too. Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek. And basically it has to deal with like the golden age of DC heroes dealing with Magog and the millennial age of more violent 90 superheroes that come up to take their place. And we see them clash on the question of should they kill, should they rule, should they use their powers to overtake the free will of people. That's literally basically the same point for Jupiter's legacy. So I thought they would go ahead and maybe – just kind of take that running theme and make it different. But I almost feel like Malara copied Ross and Busick's homework because it's just, um, it, it's just not good. And now I want to go ahead and question, did I get the writers right for that? Let's do kingdom come. 
DC because I, we do all of our research here. Kingdom Come DC. Let's see. It's got a... Oh, I was wrong. It's Mark Wade and Alex Ross. It was Kurt Busick and Alex Ross that did Marvels, which we discussed a while ago. So Kurt Busick and Alex Ross did Marvels. Mark Wade, another fantastic, fantastic writer, and Alex Ross did Kingdom Come. So yeah, am I am I basically saying that I think uh, Millar here kind of cribbed Ross and uh, Wade's work? I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Uh, I I think he kind of did, and he didn't do it in a great way either. Um, Told in a time-hopping story structure befitting a show stitched together in post, uh, Jupiter's Legacy is essentially a family story. Sheldon Sampson is utopian, a man's man who relies heavily on his dorky name to hide his heroic alter ego. Um... When his kids are barely waist high, he tells them, service, compassion, mercy. Those are the words we live by. That is our code. A code he demands they live by for the rest of their lives. Uh, Talk about high standards. Dad is already the world's greatest superhero, and now he's committing his children to a life of benevolent servitude. And, And that's basically where it goes. It sets up this conflict of the family. And when he talks about like time stitching, they go back. To two parallel, so I mean, you've got different characters of different subplots, but you've got two parallel stories running. You've got the modern day story of what's going on after Paragon has killed Blackstar, but then you have the story as to how Utopian and his wife and friends got their powers uh, before they formed the Union of Justice, which is literally like the Justice League. I mean, their whole thing looks like the Justice, the Hall of Justice from the early Justice League comics and the Super Friends cartoon. And it almost it, – it's it feels like two different shows. It's just – it's one of those things where it's like am I watching the same thing or is it something else? Because the, the old like flashback story is of them in like the 1920s and it's it, – it reminds me of Lost. Like it's it, – it very much I think also kind of cribs a lot of the themes of Lost and it, it doesn't do that in in a way that is decent. So, I mean, right now, he's really just pointing out that things are just really inconsistent. They don't seem to really mesh together. And it it just seems a little bit generic from the superhero deconstructionist type of stories we're getting. And if I've said that a lot and you have no clue what I'm talking about, this is your first time, I apologize. Superhero deconstruction are stories that base around the the stereotype and the common themes that we've seen primarily through the golden age of comics where you get your original justice league and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the, the truth, justice, American way type of morality. And what they do is they kind of twist it to really go into how these people would be in like our modern times through a, through a more gray lens. So think Watchmen, think dark Knight returns, Think uh, even Batman versus Superman, John Donna Justice, if you want, like a film theme. So stuff like that. Going back, I'm going to skip to the end of this review, which, as I mentioned, this and everything else I talk about will be in the show notes. At best, Jupiter's legacy is just really bad at understanding modern cries for revolution. At worst, 
it's as if the show is positioning today's youth as advocates for police brutality. Those uh, those asked to protect others should have the right to protect themselves and their colleagues by whatever means necessary. Not only does such a comparison seem ludicrous in light of recent demands to defund the police and dismantle corrupt institutions, it's not even well argued because the series can't build an argument for anything. The series is an unconvin- is uh, is an unconvincing in its high falutin talking points as it is with its wigs and wire work it's almost as if the show struggles to explain how its own characters can be killed shouldn't be debating i'm sorry let me read that it's almost as if the show that struggles to explain how its own characters can be killed shouldn't be debating who deserves to die and he gave it a grade of a d so this is probably the the, the harshest review of it so what would a flip side of this look like uh, this I'm pulling from comicyears.com, and this is by Shah Shahid. Jupiter's legacy continues deconstructing the superhero genre in a cool but joyless way. And remember, this is the one where it's more positive. And I, I, I read a couple of these reviews, and I, I think everyone basically agrees that there, there's, some, there's some issues to be worked out. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy is the latest Netflix original series in the superhero genre. It's from the mind of Mark Millar, the creator responsible for the source material for movies like Kick-Ass, Wanted, and Kingsman. Wanted was a Millar project? With Angelina Jolie and the guy that played Professor X? Huh. You learn something new every day. Uh, In many ways, Jupiter's Legacy is Netflix's answer to Amazon Prime Video's The Boys, and that that was going to come as a comparison. I, I don't think it's, oh, well, they're late to the party. I think that genuinely this is just an inferior story to the boys. I mean, it, it's just, I, I think they, I think Jupiter's Legacy, the comic came out after like the first like dozen or so issues of the boys came out. But then again, it's also the same time as other stories like this, uh, like Irredeemable. Irredeemable was a story that went on for like, you know, a hundred issues where basically it's like, what if Superman went evil? It's, it's, everything is basically just like six degrees of injustice, the video game. So, I mean, it's not that it's late to the party. There are plenty of things within this field. that are all genuinely good and unique in their own right. This one's just not that great. Um, it's dark and mature live action superhero content that takes a closer look at the realities of superheroes in society. But while the boys showcase those views from the lens of the everyman, Jupiter's legacy keeps things localized within the superhero perspective. It's all the heroes all the time. So let me see. Uh, Jupiter's legacy is one of Mark Millar's longest running comic book series. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip that paragraph to uh, the Jupiter's Legacy series review is about the philosophy is about the philosophy versus fist. So what they're basically trying to show it's not just about violence. It's not just about a lot of the stuff that you might typically begin with these more like violent, very you know in your face uh, superhero deconstructionist stories. This one's really trying to ask you the questions as to who these heroes are and why they do what they do. So he continues, the premise of Jupiter's legacy has many layers. On one level, the series is set in a world full of superheroes. One group of veteran superheroes govern the other, the others overseeing and enforcing their core values through the Union. The Union is unlike the usual superhero groups that we're used to experiencing. 
It's the Justice League if the JLA had a generation of founding members from almost 100 years ago still running the place. And remember how earlier I said the flashbacks take place in the 1920s? Well, that's around the time that they get their powers, and then they basically just don't age. That's why you know Utopian and Lady Liberty and all that stuff, they're still all around. So they all look like they're in their 60s, even though they're all pushing like 90s to 100s by now, at least 100s. Because they were all like in their late 20s, early 30s when they got their power. So they're, they're pretty freaking old. It almost seems for me like I always – like the best way for me to compare the story is like Greek mythology in a way because like Utopian very much is set to be like Zeus, the patriarch, and all the other gods are somehow offshot from him directly. I'm not saying he had sex with a whole bunch of people like Zeus did, but everyone basically sees him as like the patriarch figure. Um, it's – its members comprise that generation's children who struggle to live up to the legacy of their parents. Then there's everyone else who has powers and are vying to join the union. Um, the union's core members are the Utopian, his wife Lady Liberty, his brother Brainwave, a former employee The Flare, and you can kind of tell these are all basically homages to people. So Utopian is Superman, Lady Liberty, uh, Wonder Woman, Brainwave. Is kind of like – at first I thought he was – so he's got more like the powers of Professor X, but he comes off as more like a Magneto character. Uh, then you got the Flare, who's basically the Flash. Then you got Sky Fox, who's just your generic bad guy and Blue Bolt. I, I don't even remember Blue Bolt being mentioned. But together, they created the Union back in the 30s when they were originally given their powers. Now they head up the world's only superhero organization – but one that is struggling to be relevant in a world of ever-changing rules. And that's the basic setup and premise of Jupiter's legacy, an aging generation of heroes who have to face tough questions from the supposed legacy of their kids who feel limited by their parents' code despite their immense superpowers. And what's the code? Just don't kill people and don't take over. So, you know, that's, that's basically it. And he goes into a lot more detail about it than the other guy. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and skip to the bottom of this. Jupiter's Legacy Review has to find the fun by actively looking. Uh, people complain that Zack Snyder's DC Extended Universe is devoid of fun. It's dark and grimy and too serious. Those audiences will have a field day of Jupiter's Legacy, as there's not one clear-cut moment of levity. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, everyone, ha- even the boys, has a lot of, like, humor in it. Give me a relief. There's... None of that here. It's just so – it's so self-serving and so, so self-righteous. It's just – it just doesn't come off as fun ever. And this – you know, I I think Heroes is a good example. I'll talk about Heroes a little bit after this. But Heroes didn't have any of those things. But Heroes still managed to be fun in its own way. Um, it's a show that is utterly joyless in its storytelling, doubling down on the dark, serious, and brooding moments. And while I enjoy the author, while I enjoyed its intensity in a story that needed it, I'm not sure how long it'll be able to hold on to audiences who need some breaks from the tension to continue enjoying the story. Um, I've seen Josh Dumal on a lot of things, mostly romantic comedies. I haven't, I, don't, I can't name one, but then again, it's not typically my thing I watch. I'm glad to say that the actor acts his heart out in Jupiter's Legacy. So the author agrees with me. Josh Dumal is probably the best actor in the series. And it's such a powerful performance from him. He is bolstered by the supporting performances of Daniels and Bibb. Although, as the matriarch of this entire group and basically a world of superheroes, I wish Lady Liberty had more agency and impact. 
besides just being the wise wife and mom who will swoop in every now and again to give sage advice, and their kids are very poorly developed. While Chloe's storyline, Chloe's daughter, uh, supermodel drug addict, I don't really know what her powers are anyway, uh, gets interesting as the series progresses. Paragon uh, stays constantly unimportant and just plain boring, even though he's the catalyst of the conflict of the season. And then finally, Jupiter's Legacy is an in-depth exploration of superhero elements that have rarely been discussed in this manner. Pacing, while lacking at some times, is pretty engaging. The story dips in certain areas uh, with certain characters, but overall is worth the investment of the eight-episode season. And, and, you know, I I think this is probably the fairest uh, review, even though this is the most positive. I'll probably say it's, you know, realistically, it's the most middle ground one that I've read. And uh, what he said about eight episodes not feeling too much of a drag, they're also like 30 minutes. Like this is not your average Netflix series um, that usually goes to an hour or more. These were these were pretty fast. I got through it in, in the afternoon. I had it you know, on the TV while I was doing work. So the, the one thing I will disagree with is probably the biggest you know, highlight of the show, which is the superhero deconstructionism that I discussed earlier. He says that it's lacking. I disagree with that. If anything, I think that a lot of the stuff we're getting, even from the Marvel shows now, I think WandaVision talks about it and also um, the Falcon and the Winter definitely did. The idea of superhero deconstructionism has really been coming out since The Watchmen came out in 2007-2008. And we've seen it in Marvel films such as... um, uh, Captain America Civil War being a big one. Uh, really, the Zack Snyder DC universe is all about superhero deconstructionism. It's, I mean, it's very, very much the basis for Batman versus Superman. And then you've got the boys, you've got all this other stuff. I'll even argue that uh, Invincible is to a degree, while not at its face, you know, with that as the focus, it, it really does do that with the character of Omni Man and the Guardians of the Globe. But here, here's one commentary piece. This one is from CBR.com, and it really does talk about this in a way that I think is a bit too on the nose, but it, it's it's worth going over. And it's by Nicholas Brooks. It's titled, Jupiter's Legacy Proves the Golden Age of Superheroes is Dead. Because like I said, this, this is basically Kingdom Come, but done in a way that uh, really kind of doesn't try and set up the golden age of heroes as like the big standard because the thing of kingdom come is that the heroes have to come back it's like superman batman green lantern wonder woman they have to come back to stop these heroes with this one having not read the comics at all i can say that based off what they've basically set up i don't feel like this is gonna work out for them but you know i could be wrong this i think the series is over which is why they went ahead and did the tv show In Jupiter's legacy, the golden age of heroes is slowly dying. Now the heroes must either adapt to the times or fight against it. The golden age of heroes serves as the backbone for most of the characters in Jupiter's legacy. Beginning at a time before the atomic age, golden age characters like Superman were often portrayed as heroes who stood on one side of a district line between good and evil. Their thoughts on right and wrong were summed up in Jupiter's legacy with the code. Don't kill people, don't rule people. That banned heroes from killing or ruling others. However, as times changed, the code began to lose its meaning. And as its meaning died, so did the Golden Age. And I'm going to go ahead and um, uh, skip down a little bit. The comics that came decades after Action Comics Issue 1 gradually transitioned into a darker story. 
Before, violence was often shown as fistfights, but as the millennium inched closer, heroes like Spawn and the Punisher became the new fad. Their ultra-violence and ambiguous moral code were the new aesthetic for comic readers at the time. Meanwhile, classic characters like Superman struggled to stay relevant in a world that had clearly lost touch with truth, justice, and the American way. Like Superman in the 1990s, Utopian's brand of justice was quickly becoming a passing phase. Rather than flow with with the current like his brother Brainwave... Uh, He chose to fight against it, but his stubbornness left him vulnerable to a more modern evil. In the Golden Age, villains were always portrayed as megalomaniacs or mobsters, but in the modern age, evil was more complex, with the villains often seeing themselves as the hero in their own story. Uh, The season's conclusion revealed that Utopian's greatest enemy is actually his brother. Brainwave, Brainwave believes Utopian and his code is outdated, it is an outdated idea that holds superheroes back. Working from the shadows, he creates a public distrust and doubt and doubts in his brother's son, Paragon, that could ruin their father-son relationship. Brainwave represents a new age of villains that Utopian and his ideals can never compete with. To defeat this new threat, the decades-old code must be demolished, and in doing so, the golden age of heroes will well and truly be dead. Um, and, and you know, I wouldn't even just say it's a it's that much of a modern thing. I mean, I think Magneto, while definitely set up as a villain, there's a reason why Magneto is definitely in that uh, pretty solid anti-hero camp. It's this idea of do we do everything we must do to win, or do we try and stick by our values? It's the uh, Magneto versus Professor X type of argument. It's the Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King type of argument. It's a thing that we see everywhere. I mean, the boys does a great job of this. Um, you know, there, there are many series that do this and I, I just want to go ahead and just tell you like right off the bat, like superhero deconstructionism, I don't think it's a fad. I don't think, I don't want to say that because we're seeing it so much right now, that is what's bringing down the series. I think the series tries to lean too much on that, but ultimately, as the first review said, it is ultimately just one, the storytelling into the acting with Josh Dumal trying to bring everyone kind of up to his level because really a lot of these people just seem to be phoning it in. So I don't want to say that, you know, people are tired of superhero deconstructionism. Oh, it's just kind of late to the party. No, it's just a weak show. And because of that, that that is what brings it down. So that that's all I've got to say about that. And like I said, I went back and watched the Snyder Cut after this. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what else to watch. I've got a little bit of free time on my hands, so I want to relax. Uh, I don't really want to read much. I want to just watch a few more things I probably haven't caught up on. But really, like, if this is the type of theme you want, but let's say you don't really want to give Jupiter's Legacy a try for one reason or another because you finished it and you're just looking for something that carries on that deconstructionist aspect but does it better, there's some series that I've already mentioned but others that I think are probably worth checking out. The first one is The Boys. Seasons 1 through 2 are on Amazon. I can probably tell you it's the most violent series I've probably ever witnessed. Uh, the storytelling is great and the acting is better from everybody. Um, it, it's one of those situations where it's just like if you're going to watch that show, like, you know, put your cell phone away, close the blinds. You're going to want to binge it. Secondly, Invincible. It started with a bang and it ended way too soon. Uh, this is the show that I went ahead and said is probably one of the best animated series in the superhero genre since maybe um, – 
Batman the animated series. It's just got the cast is great uh, with Kirkman really on board and with Seth Rogen producing. Uh, if this doesn't get a nomination for an Emmy, I, I don't know what will, especially if that last episode, it, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, third, Titans. So Titans, I'm not going to say is on this list because it's better. I'm just going to say Titans is on this list because Titans is another recent example of a f- series that tries to do superhero deconstruction, but does it in all in prob- I'll pro- You know what? I think I'll say this. Titans is worse than Jupiter's Legacy. I had some positive things to say about Jupiter's Legacy. I'll say that the one thing that Jupiter's Legacy has that uh, Titans in seasons one through two doesn't is pacing. Titans through season one and season two is just such a fucking pain to get through. And like my brother likes it. I'll say like the costumes are cool. I like a lot of the actors. I think the duo that play Hawk and Dove are pretty cool. Um, I think they're casting for Bruce Wayne, the dude from Game of Thrones, is kind of off. But like they tried to basically make Titans into just another Batman show. Like for season three, they're bringing in Scarecrow and the Red Hood, um, which I mean, they didn't even do like the Death in the Family arc for Jason. So I don't know why the hell they're jumping in that so fast. It, it's a show that wants to be bigger than it is, but just like Jupiter's Legacy, because it tries so hard, it just doesn't succeed at that. Which is which is a real bummer because I was really looking forward to that show. Now this next one might come out of left field. It's an older series, uh, you know, in terms of like superpower superheroes on screen stuff. It's I'll, I'll call it like pre MCU. You know, when we really really raised our standards. But it's uh, it's heroes. It was uh, NBC's Heroes, which is probably one of my top five favorite series of all time. No, Heroes was not based off a comic. The comic actually came after, and it wasn't even a direct adaptation. Um, But Heroes is a – one, it was a fantastic series. It was basically like, you know, X-Men, but without, you know, too too much of the craziness that you would typically get with the campy style of adapting a show about super-powered people – onto TV. It took itself very seriously, but also weighed itself in a, in a way that also was kind of like a love letter to people who loved comics and loved this genre. Uh, it went on for, I think, uh, four or five seasons, and then they had a follow-up series called Heroes Return or Heroes Reborn, something like that. Uh, I, I wasn't too much of a fan of that. But what I loved about Heroes was Heroes took kind of like that superhero deconstruction method, but as the series progresses... What it does is it really tries to justify the need for true heroism. And through each of the characters' arcs, what you see is all these people trying to deal with coming in terms of their new powers in this real dark and you know very scary post-9-11 world. But what you see are the ones who turn to evil and the ones that try and hide from their powers. But then you see the ones that truly embrace it and try and be heroic. And really what the series is, is it's less of a deconstruction of the superhero archetype. It's more about people trying to discover what it means to have these powers and to be heroes. And, uh, you know, I, I watched a few clips online the other day just to, you know, look at some of my favorite moments. And it's a series that has actually really aged well. I think Heroes was – I don't think it was ahead of its time. I think it came out at just the right time when it was on TV. 
it was one of the top rated shows on cable. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's one reason why they brought back the series for the limited series heroes are born that came later. Um, really, if you have not watched that before, definitely, definitely consider watching heroes. It's from NBC. I don't know what network or provider streams it anymore, but like I've, this tells you how old I am. I have the DVD box sets from when my brother and I were kids driving across, riding across the country with our parents when we were moving and we were watching it on our little, you know, seat mounted monitors uh, with the connected DVD player. I mean, really, I have such fond memories of heroes. Um, you, you might notice our tagline if you're a big heroes friend, uh, if you're a big heroes fan, read comics, change the world. It's actually a spin on the big, you know, big slogan from season one of heroes which is save the cheerleader save the world so if you ever wondered and you know looked at that and you're like oh i wonder if you got from that yes i I basically did kind of crib that for my own purpose here with uh second print comics now here's some indie films that tried to do this that are let's call them good bad movies or just bad bad movies these were indie flicks that were typically direct to dvd that tried to really dial down on the or dial up on the deconstruction aspect of things one of them was called sparks the origin of ian sparks and i can't it was based off a comic i can't even tell you who the publisher was uh they're not i think it was called catastrophic comics i don't think they were american i think they might be british but it was a direct-to-DVD movie. It's uh, It takes place in the 30s. And basically, it's about a guy who's an orphan, somehow gets powers, wants to be a hero, ends up screwing up. He gets brutally beaten. His, uh, his love interest, uh, Lady Heavenly, who's another hero, who I don't think she has powers either, she ends up like getting brutally assaulted by a villain. And her ex-boyfriend, who's another guy, ends up coming in to save him. And long story short, he basically learns that to beat the bad guys, he basically becomes a bad guy at the end of the film, but he's still the protagonist. Like it's it's a real like it's it's a shitty movie, but I watched that uh, in 2013, and I think you probably catch it online for free on like YouTube or something. It's just bad. But if you want to see another attempt of people trying to do this where they take itself so seri- where they take themselves so seriously and they try and let you know like this isn't the superhero that you expected, that type of thing, um, it, it's, a, it's a good example of how really not to do it. So probably way worse than Jupiter's Legacy. Way, way worse. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy at least had some, had some production value in the budget. Then there was another one called All Superheroes Must Die. You might remember the kid that played Havoc in X-Men First Class. He stars uh, in this film with one of the dudes from Dexter. And basically, it's a it's not even an hour long. Basically, it's like Saw, but with superheroes. But like none of these guys have powers either. And basically, it's a thing where it's like, if you know the supervillain arcade from Marvel... It's the the bad guy is basically arcade, and what he's done is he's disabled these superheroes from accessing their powers, and he has them in like this little carnival of death. And in order to get out, they have to go through all these like torture games and shit. And by the end of the film, uh, you know, like ha- like almost all the heroes are dead. And then when the main character, the the dude who played Havoc, finds the bad guy, he basically like murders him Punisher style, but. 
basically it was intended that that would happen because the guy has like cancer or something. So what he wanted to do was he wanted all the heroes to break their codes. And basically it's like, even though, yeah, he dies and loses, he still achieved what he wanted. So all superheroes must die. I bought it at target in the $5 bin on a Friday night when I was in high school. Uh, probably the worst attempt of superhero deconstructionism I can ever tell you. Like it's not even like a, like a bad, a good bad film or a bad bad film. It's just a terrible, terrible film. Like I, I probably still have it in the cabinet somewhere. I I may have sold it. It's just it's absolutely dreadful, and it's not based on anything. It was just somebody trying to jump in on the superhero hype uh, in the mid two thousands. Like it's just it's absolute shit. I honestly like go look at the trailer. The trailer will tell you everything you need to know because the movie's not worth watching. At least uh, Sparks, the origin of Ian Sparks, like it's worth maybe watching some friends and making fun of it, getting halfway through and then deciding to go watch the, Z- the Zack Snyder uh, Justice League cut. But like it's just it's just not good. So uh, to contest with our second reviewer, this has been done a lot and we've seen really good ways and we've seen really bad ways. But superhero deconstruction is going to be both something that we see probably more of in film and especially in comics. I mean, I'm surprised Irredeemable hasn't been picked up yet. But uh, that that's all to basically say if people are going to say that it's because of the superhero deconstruction topic, it's not because that is outdone. It's just because Jupiter's Legacy is not a great show because it's not written great. So that's all I've got. Let me go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and actually read your comments. I went ahead and posted this over in our Second Print Comics fan zone, which, as I mentioned, is for Patreon supporters, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. You can join us a little for $5 a day if you haven't already. Uh, let me see. Let me see. I'm going to go ahead and read these. This is from Brandon. This is from Brandon. Why do you hate Green Lantern so much? How specifically? I don't hate Green Lantern. Uh, I'm just not, it's just really not my thing when it comes to comic books. I've never been a cosmic type of guy. So like, I'm not really into guardians of the galaxy. I'm not really into silver surfer. And as a result, I've never really been into green lantern. It's just one of those things that I've never really clicked with. And I'm not saying I hate it. I'm just saying it's not my thing, but I totally understand why people like it. I, I, I really liked, uh, green lantern rebirth. I actually really enjoyed the Nathan Fillion cartoon that was on Netflix for about two seasons uh, back when Netflix had their DC Power Hour uh, when I was a kid in school. That was a lot of fun. I really liked that series. And I also really like Blackest Night. Um, you know, it's just that uh, Green Lantern is just not really my thing, but I've had I've had phases, but more often than not, um, you know, I usually never really pick up one of the comics. Uh, I will say though that, uh, Green Lantern Earth One is my favorite, but you know, to answer your question about why I don't like Hal, it's because I think Hal is really bland. I don't think he's really a developed hero, much like, you know, some of the uh, others are. I know a lot of people say that Superman's origin is kind of bland, but I would beg to differ, um, a lot. Uh, even Batman's got more complicated. A lot of people have more, and I'm not saying complicated origins, but they've got more interesting origins. They're more interesting people. I always felt like Cal was kind of a place filler. And what I like about uh, Earth One is that they changed some of the things about the Green Lantern core, and they changed some things about Hal Jordan, as we talked about in the Green Lantern Earth One episode from a few months back, that I think make it better. One, 
Uh, the reason why I'm not a big fan of the main continuity of Green Lantern is because I think it's too overly complicated. And depending on the writer, um, it, it's just like it feels like they're either taken from Star Wars or they're just trying to purposely overcomplicate things to put their mark on the book. I think when Jeff Johns wrote Green Lantern, it was the best it was. Uh, and then second, what I liked about Hal Jordan in Earth One is that they actually make him interesting. They actually give him some grit. They actually give him some character development. I like that version of Hal Jordan in like 60 pages more than like the hundreds of issues I've read of Hal Jordan. Um, you know, it's just, he's just not that interesting. And I mean, I'm somebody, I, you know, my favorite Green Lantern is, uh, is John Stewart. John Stewart actually is really interesting. He's got, uh, you know, a very unique personality compared to the others because he was a former Marine. Uh, you know, I grew up with him watching the Just League Animated Show. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, that's an example of when I like it because I like Green Lantern in situations where he's typically working with the league. I've never been a fan of the Green Lantern solo books because I think a Green Lantern is better when you see him contrasting with the other heroes. And, uh, you know, it's also reiterated, John Jones is probably, you know, my favorite, I'm sorry, John Stewart is probably my favorite because John Stewart was the Green Lantern I grew up with. I didn't know, I didn't learn about how till later in my teens when I started reading the comics. So it's not that I hate Green Lantern. I don't, it's just not my thing. And I think that we've seen that it could be better, but you know, Earth One is just a couple of volumes. So, you know, it's very self-contained. And with Hal, it's not that I hate Hal. It's just that Hal, I just don't find him interesting, especially when you compare him to the other uh, main canon uh, guys, such as Jon Stewart. I mean, uh, um, Guy Gardner is Mark's favorite Green Lantern. Guy Gardner's actually going to be the, the protagonist for the Green Lantern series on HBO. So, I mean, what does that say? So, uh, yeah, Brandon, don't try and bait me. I don't hate... I just have preferences. Uh, this is from Marcus. Who is better, Tom King or Jonathan Hickman? I'm going to take a very firm, controversial stance. I, I, I would say Tom King is better than Jonathan Hickman. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of you will probably be shocked because we've been very critical of Tom King and. Uh, honestly, I could say that, you know, at least Tom King's stuff, there's stuff that I liked and there's stuff that I don't like, but overall, uh, he's written some really great stories. His Mr. Miracle limited series is great. My brother's, uh, strange science, uh, series that he read. And by that, I mean, my brother was collecting strange, uh, strange science or strange fiction or strange adventures. Yeah. Strange adventures. The one with Adam strange. Uh, and that was also really good. I mean, he's done some good stuff. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, I don't like any of his stuff. Like, I don't like his Fantastic Four run. I didn't like Secret Wars. I certainly think that he has destroyed the X-Men franchise. So, I mean, while, you know, you might not like some of the stuff that Tom King did, he's never gone out of his way to destroy an entire franchise. I mean, yeah, he had his Heroes in Crisis storyline, but that's mostly been retconned out of relevancy. I mean, th- th- we're on like year three of Hickman's abortion of a of a X Men franchise, and it's just absolutely terrible. So with that alone, I got to give it to Tom King. I mean, I, I I'm not even giving uh, Hickman any of my money, and I mean, I'm just like I'm I'm so I'm 
the the vitriolic hatred towards Hickman right now is more so than that. What what King what King can do to anyone, as you've heard on this show, especially if you've heard the Remso rants on Patreon, you know that I've been extremely harshly critical of Tom King. But if you're gonna make me like you know gun to my head, pick who would I rather read, uh, King or Hickman? I'm giving it to King. Sorry. Uh, this is from. Uh, another listener, what was the biggest plot hole left in comics? I got to say the biggest plot hole left in comics and probably for good reasons was Professor X's crush on teenage Jean Grey from, I think it's X-Men issue, Uncanny X-Men issue 2 from the 60s. It's one of those things that we've touched on here in the show in the past when we've done X-Men episodes. It's just so freaking creepy. I think Stanley wanted it to turn into something later, but everyone kind of looked at it and they were like, hell no. And for the most part, it's never been mentioned anywhere in main continuity again. The one time it did pop up anywhere X-Men related within the past two decades was I think it was uh, somewhere in like the 60s range, like uh, issue 60 through 70 of um, – Ultimate X Men, so there's the Ultimate Universe, and uh, uh, Professor X admits to Scott Cyclops admits to being in love with Jean Grey. But then, even then, it's just mentioned. He and Professor X ends up quote dying in the next issue. He comes back later, like ten issues later, and then it's never discussed again. So it's one of those things where even when they try and bring it up, even when it's in another universe, it just comes off as so creepy and weird. Nobody likes to talk about it. So I'll say that because it's one of those things that just should be ignored and should be just completely put into the ash heap of history of bad decisions in comics. So good one. Uh, I had to think about that for a second. I didn't just it didn't just pop up as quick as I may have been answering about it. I thought about this question a lot for the last couple of days. Um, that's probably the biggest. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you just don't, I don't want to touch that one with like a 20 foot stick. Just keep it away. Keep it far away. Uh, this one is from Shane. Shane asks, uh, what's the comic or comic character you're embarrassed to like as in everyone trashes this, but you're like, wait, and don't say Ultimate Marvel. I get so much shit for liking Ultimate Marvel. Um, I don't really know. I'm trying to think. I'm trying really hard. Like I, I want to say Miles Morales. I, I feel like people have really come around to Miles recently. Um, shoot. I don't know, man. Like I... I really don't know. I'd like to think that in my personal life, I've always been ahead of what I think people are going to end up liking in comics. Um, character you're embarrassed to like. Man, I, I can't think of it. Like It'll probably come to me after recording, but I mean, I, I don't know why there's so much hate towards Ultimate Marvel. Um, Shoot, I'm going to feel really bad if I don't actually give an answer for this one, but I don't really think there's any one particular. Uh, like, I've collected some stuff I know was bad, but I would never say I liked it. Man, Shane, I'm sorry to disappoint you, bro, but uh, I, don't, I don't really have one. I, I, don't, I don't think I do. Uh, wait a second now. I'm going to be wrong about this. 
Ha. Huh. Shit, man. Like, sorry. Sorry, can't can't answer. I, I really, really, really don't know. Um, okay. And moving on to the next one. What is the best independent comic you've ever read? Best independent comic I've ever read? Uh, I mean, maybe Invincible. Maybe Invincible. I think it's probably that. When I picked up Invincible in high school, I was immediately hooked. Um... Yeah, probably that. Pro- probably Invincible. You know, I used to read The Phantom growing up. It was a character by Lee Falk. Um, they, ironically, they printed it in Australia. And when I came to the United States, he had been purchased by, I don't know if it was Image or somebody else, but they basically rebooted him for American audiences. That was pretty good, but it was very, like, very pre-World War II-ish type of themes. Uh, so very, like, you know, noir, detective-driven. Uh, that was, I would say that's independent, um, but really Invincible, I think, is really great. Irredeemable, which I mentioned earlier, uh, I th- that was not a Millar comic. I don't, I don't think Dynamite did it. Uh, th- these are all really great questions, guys. These are all, these are all really great questions. So I'll probably say, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, let's say Invincible by Robert Kirkman. It's just like it's it's just such a standout. That's why Mark and I did an entire episode to it. That's why I did several rants about it. It's just that good. Um, I've got some other questions. Some of you me- uh, messaged me. Uh, what's better, print or digital? As you've heard on this show, especially when we're reading over stuff, sometimes there are differences in the layout. Maybe some sometimes some stuff are missing depending on what version you get, whether it's physical or print. I will say the best comics are the are the ones that you read. So whether you want to read it on a tablet, your phone, or you're like me and you're uh, paying extra for paper, um, just go ahead and get whatever. Uh, whatever floats your boat. Uh, where do I buy my comics? Up until recently, I was buying them from actual stores. I had five stores in my area. I, would, I had a pull box at one of them, and some stores had su- carried some stuff that others didn't. Uh, now I'm currently uh, subscribing so I'm actually getting it in the mail. I'm subscribing to uh, Justice League through DC. So I'm I'm getting my comics that way right now. But I also have Hoopla. I've got the Marvel Unlimited app. So even I read digital comics sometimes. Um, that that's typically where I'm grabbing my stuff. And uh, that's about it, folks. Hey, great questions. Uh, we should do this again one day. But you know, ultimately, all this to say is. Don't let me, don't let reviewers, don't let anyone tell you what you should and shouldn't watch. Just go ahead and do what you want and have fun in the process. And, you know, at the end of the day, let's come back here and just go ahead and shit on each other because it's fun. Good, honest dunking is good for bonding. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed it. We'll be back to normal next week. Until next time, please, if you like this content from Mark and I, if you want to join this growing community of comic book lovers that we're establishing here, please go ahead and support us at patreon.com slash secondprintpod for as little as $5 a month, literally less than a value meal at McDonald's. Literally, you, you just shit out $5 without even realizing it during the month. You might as well put it towards what you love right here. As always, I'm Remster W. Martinez. Read comics, change the world.
save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.